happiness is the absence of unhappiness. Get rid of the things that make you unhappy and your nature will show, okay? And everyone knows that. Hmm? On a Sunday morning, you wake up, your partner didn't say something stupid, your boss is not there to annoy you, you know, and hey, for a change, it's not raining. What do you feel? You feel super happy. Mm -hmm. You still haven't got that promotion, but you're happy. to the Made For More podcast, where I tell you everything you need to know to build your online empire. I cover mindset, marketing, and how to build massive momentum. And I promise you, I don't leave anything on the table. You know that you are made for more, and that's exactly why you're here. So let's stop playing small and start playing bigger. This is the Made For More podcast. Let's do this. Okay, just imagine this for a second. Imagine that you got to hang out with loads of other women who were exactly like you. Like they were ambitious, they supported you, they cheered you on, they had your back, and every single time you spoke to them, you felt more powerful and even more inspired to go after your dreams. And imagine if every single week you got to get on a live coaching call with other coaches and other incredible people just like you to keep growing your skills. And imagine if all of those goals that you set yourself at the beginning of the week, you were held accountable to. So at the end of the month, people would come up to you and say, how are you getting on with that goal? Are you staying on track and making sure that you don't fall off the wagon? Oh, and can you even imagine if twice a month you got updates on all the top trending reels to completely skyrocket your success on social media? like all the tips and tricks that all the pros use, directly from the Girls Building Empire's content creator. Imagine if you found a place like that where there was a roadmap where you could literally come in, follow a roadmap to six figures and just completely let go of all the noise out there and follow a proven system for success. Can you imagine how cool would that be? And imagine if you could get all of that for less than $50 a month. I mean, that's nuts. I literally so wish I had this when I was starting out in my business. And this is exactly why I created the Startup to Six Figure Sisterhood. I promise this is literally everything you've been dreaming for because this was honestly everything I have been dreaming for my entire life in business. I know you're going to love the Startup to Six Figure Sisterhood. It's the most incredible membership of people just like you. And I made it just for you to make sure that you stay on track with your goals and you can build your ultimate dream empire. Just head over to girlsbuildingempires.com forward slash sisterhood and you'll be able to find all the details. You are welcome. See you there. Hello, my friend. I hope you are all good. I hope wherever you are listening to this, you are having a wonderful day. I'm so, so excited to bring you this episode. I've been wanting to share this with you for so, so long. So when I talk about my podcast, I always say that starting a podcast is the best thing that I ever did for my business and also the best thing that I ever did personally as well for my own personal growth. And it's moments like this that make me feel so, so grateful that I started my podcast because a couple of weeks ago, I had the 
honor of interviewing the incredible Mo Gaudet. Now, Mo is the ex-chief business officer of Google X, you know, like all the crazy futuristic stuff that they do. And after the tragic loss of his son, Ali, he completely pivoted and is now on a huge personal mission to not only become the happiest version of himself, but also to enable one billion other people to find true happiness, which in itself, considering what's happened, I think is absolutely incredible. But when you listen to his story and when you just listen to him speak, you cannot be uh, helped but be moved by him. And honestly, when I got to interview him, we got to spend four hours together in London and that experience changed me honestly it changed my outlook it changed the way i view certain situations and i will remember that conversation for a very very long time we are also now great friends which i'm so happy about and i just cannot wait for all the experiences to come with him so i'm so excited for you to listen to this episode he is truly a very very special man and i know you're going to absolutely love it so if you love this episode which i know that you will please take a screenshot tag me at carly Myers life or girls winning empires and let me know what you're loving also go and follow mo he has a podcast called slow mo which is incredible and he's also given us an extra special gift so first 100 people to join his membership will actually get two months for free so if you click the link in my bio you're going to be able to get that exclusive discount and i just cannot wait for you to hear this i know you're going to love everything about it and i'm so excited that you get to listen in on this incredible experience thanks so much guys speak to you soon bye Hi Mo, how are you doing? Amazing, actually. Thank you so much for hosting a beautiful place. Well, it's nice, isn't it? It really is. I am. I'm honestly so excited to be chatting to you because I first came across you a little while ago. A friend, actually, loads of friends were messaging me saying you need to listen to this podcast episode. It's on Stephen Bartlett, CEO, um, Diary CEO. You need to listen to it. It's amazing. So they sent it to me, and I was listening. And I always listen to my podcasts on the way to pick my son up from nursery. So twenty mm-hmm. minute drive there, twenty minute drive back. I can usually do a good episode in that time. And on the way back, my son always falls asleep. If he falls asleep at three o'clock, it's danger hour. And I'm like, you need to wake up. Otherwise, you're going to be awake all night. <laughs> the nightmares so, of motherhood. <laughs> exactly. Normally in the car, I'm like shouting, trying to keep him awake so that he can sleep in the night and mama can go to work. But this time I listened to the episode and I was driving back and both my kids fell asleep in the back. And I was only halfway through the episode. And I just sat on my driveway for 45 minutes oh and listened to the ep- rest of the episode. And I was like, do you know what? He's not going to sleep until like two in the morning, but I'm going to take it um, so that I can listen to the episode because I loved it so much, you know, and you're so in it. And I just, yeah, I just, it really was exactly what I needed to hear at that time. So So you you see one one of the things uh, of the comments I get very frequently, and I don't know if it's a compliment or really not, is that people uh, text me on Instagram or something and they say, well, we play your podcast, my, my podcast, mm-hmm. before we go to bed because your vo- voice is so soothing <laughs> and it puts us to sleep. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's nice. Thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, does that mean the content is super boring? Right? <laughs> I have no idea, right? But uh, maybe maybe when the kids are not sleeping next time, just play the diary of yeah. the CEO again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, just send them off to sleep. Oh, exactly. Frankie, yeah. you go. But no, I absolutely loved it. And it was everything that I, yeah, it just really opened up a new way of thinking. So thank you for that. So for 
I'm so excited to bring you to my audience as well if they haven't listened to you. And I would love you to tell tell us a little bit about you, how you've got here. There is so much that's happened up to this point, <laughs> but in a nutshell, how have you ended up here? Uh, I ended up here. I lived two lives to get here. Mm -hmm. Okay, one one life was my executive. Uh, corporate, you know, serious achiever, uh, believing all the lies and running around, uh, telling myself that I have a purpose, but really all about making money, honestly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did that really well, made a ton of money, was very successful. Uh, I worked at IBM, Microsoft and Google at the time where those companies uh, actually were changing the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I worked at IBM at the time where they were changing the world it gives you a little bit of idea, an idea of my age. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I also, uh, you know, in my last career, I spent 12 years at Google. First seven, I was chief business officer. Sorry, I was the uh, vice president of emerging markets. So I uh, started half of Google Google's operations globally. Uh, which was such a privilege because a Google operation was not just about selling ads to start a Google operation, it was about really building the internet economy. So that was quite something. And then I ended up with uh, being chief business officer of Google X, spent uh, five years working on what we used to call the moonshot factory. So big ideas that would you know change the life of a billion people, so people or more. Uh, then uh, through... Um, uh, my, uh, I don't know how to say, I don't know if, if, if you believe in destiny, but uh, I, I was not always happy. I was always very successful, but like the typical, um, you know, grumpy executive, I wasn't happy. And, and I think the truth is happiness found its path into my life because of my children, because of the triggers that they uh, triggered me to change myself, but also because of the, what they taught me, believe it or not. My my son Ali was always a tiny little Zen monk who was always very, very wise. And my daughter Aya is life herself. And so between them, I learned a lot about happiness, uh, added to my hyper-engineered mind. So I sort of understood the logic of the machine and they understood the heart and the fun and the playfulness of it. And together we ended up with models that worked uh, on worked so well actually uh, that we when we shared them with others they made a difference for everyone. And then uh, Ali left. Ali's uh, he was twenty one and a half, and he honestly and truly was the pride of a father. He was tall and handsome and kind and generous and wise and beautiful in every way. He had that hug to him that summed it all up. It was just unbelievable. And, you know, I'm I'm this very serious, successful businessman, you know, that tells the whole organization of thousands of people what to do. And then I would go home and Ali would hug me and I'm like, yeah, yeah that's amazing. That's it, right? And, and he sadly went for a surgical operation. Uh, very simple, actually. So an appendectomy. So basically four minutes operation. But the surgeon did five mistakes, all preventable, all fixable, fixed three of them wrong. And we ended up in four hours losing Ali. And uh, that I think you may probably relate to that from your own story. Sometimes the most difficult things that happen to us become what makes us. Mm -hmm. And so when Ali left, I ended up uh, you know, you, you're given two choices when you lose a child. One is to 
uh, is to close your door and cry for the rest of your life. And, and I'll tell you openly, no one would have blamed me if you had hugged him once, you would know, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but somehow when Ali left, I ended up deciding to write what he told me, what he taught me uh, in a book and share it with the world. Uh, a little bit of my executive mindset was still there. So I, uh, I was basically attempting to, uh, to reach 10 million people with that message. And in my mind, I thought 10 million, six years, degrees of separation, 72 years, I calculated 72 years precisely. And then tiny part, a tiny part of Ali's essence will be everywhere and part of everyone. Crazy as it sounds, that completely became my entire story. Since then, Ali left us eight years ago now. Solve for Happy became an international bestseller. I mean, we published 32 languages, probably in 25 of them. Um, it, uh, it reached hundreds of thousands of people, but, the, but it opened doors for me to develop content and be on conversations like this. And I think we must have reached like 300 million people so far with content. We think that, you know, tens of millions of them have taken action to live a happier life. And it just became who I am. Uh, I, I wake up in the morning, as my wonderful daughter always tells me, I've been paid in advance. And, you know, I, I, I really don't have much needs in life. I live a very, very simple life. And so I wake up in the morning and I just focus on doing whatever it is I can do to make people happy. And it's a wonderful life in every possible way. Oh, that's so nice. And it I really definitely, is. I feel I feel it as soon as we met. Obviously, we met today for the first time in person. I instantly felt the warmth and the happiness. And it definitely comes from you straight away as soon as, as, soon as I meet you. you. It's yeah. really nice. But maybe it's uh, because of you. You you're like, you, well, maybe, you, make, you, maybe may, you good, make me calm and happy. It's so a there you go. Blend. It's a good blend. <laughs> um, I, I want to go into way more of like your mission and things, but something you just said about the way Ali was, was so different to how you were like you were very serious and things like that oh, yeah. I'm always so fascinated as a mother of two I'm always so fascinated about how my actions affect my children how you know what they're mirroring and what they're gonna how they're gonna follow me in some way what do you think it was that made Ali so like heart-centered and so different to how you were is your wife Really like that? Oh, my my ex is the most amazing woman on the planet. Um, and she raised them. I'll, I'll say that very openly. I mean, uh, she, she, you know, I was busy providing. I, you know, I, I was a good man. Always tried to be a good man. But she really poured love on them. Mm -hmm. And I think kids uh, need only one thing to feel centered and really be who they are, which is love. Mm -hmm. Love and a bit of respect, if you if you think about it. She she poured love on them, and and I I think that children need love and respect, believe it or not, and nothing more. Because I, my tendency is to believe that we are born instinctively happy, instinctively wise, believe it or not, uh, and and then we run out of it because of the demands of the modern world. You know, some of the wisest people I have ever met are playful like kids mm -hmm. there, you know, whether that's in spirituality, his holiness, the Dalai Lama, for example, I had the joy of spending an hour and a half with him laughing our heads off, talking about very serious stuff, but simply, you know, 
playful, having a good mm-hmm. time with life. And even the most interesting business leaders ever, you know, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, were quite um, kiddish in their way of, I don't know if that's the right word, but adventurous in the way they allowed themselves to dream and fantasize about a world that was different than the world we lived in. And, you know, and, and it's, it's quite interesting because kids are born that way. Mm-hmm. They're born happy. They're born calm. If you give them their basic needs for survival, they're also born wise. They're born with what they need, not, not knowledgeable, not uh, intelligent. If you want, like the older ones of us that go and venture in business and change the world or whatever they tell us to do, but we're born wise as children. We understand what matters and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I think what I did, which was quite uh, interesting for me, is I have a brain defect. I, I actually really and honestly have never in business worried about the position of someone. Mm-hmm. So when I walked into the Minister of Education's office, I walked in to talk to a human. I, in my mind, there was no title that was really you know, uh, and I was 26 the first time I did that when I walked into CEO offices or, you know, heads of states, I would text, you know, someone and say, can you introduce me? Can I send an email? I would like to meet this person. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's because I have that brain defect that basically says if they pee like me, then they're human like me. (laughs) Okay. Interestingly, as I grew older, I realized that Ali also, because he peed like me, he's human like me. I treated him that way. Mm -hmm. And you can see pictures of us I promise you, he was, must have been 18 year old, 18 months old, like tiny. And, you know, a friend of mine takes a picture uh, of us from the back, uh, sitting in front of a beach somewhere, clearly engaged in a very interesting conversation. Uh, I mean, I don't know if he even said words by then, mm-hmm. but I'm like attentively listening. Like I'm really looking at him and, you know, I don't know if he even said full words by then, but I was like really, really interested. And I think most of us, because of the ego of the role of a parent, we treat our kids as little things. Mm -hmm. Part of that is true because mammals, you know, our kids are born a little helpless. You need to protect them. That's Mm -hmm. fine. That's absolutely okay. But that doesn't mean that you need to treat them as less than you. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the way I treated Ali and Aya as equals to me, they became equal to me. Okay. They had their opinions. They had their views. They spoke about things, analyzed things, sometimes criticized things. And it was a, 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 a you know, a one to one relationship, mm-hmm. if you want. Um, having said that, I also believe that, uh, we be, we think that we can tell our kids what to do. Good luck with that. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, you mm-hmm. know, you, you, if you have ever been a child, you know that you never listened to your parents, mm-hmm. right? You know that what you learned instinctively is how your parents behaved. If, you know, if, if the door rings and you tell your kids, Hey, uh, go and tell them I'm not here. Okay. Uh, but then when the kids come back, tell them, no, don't lie. It's not <laughs> lying is not a good thing, right? Which one will the children pick? They'll, yeah. they'll pick how you behave, not how you. Uh, not not what you say and so my my view is that if you can become a good example for the kids in terms of respecting them in terms of appreciating them they become good parts of your life basically mm. it's such a good point and i'm i'm just always so when i look at my especially my son now he's so 
loving and what you say about the hug that's why I really asked because yeah. I thought I would I always want Frankie to hug me like that he's got the best hug ever and he's so sweet so I always find it fascinating to know what parts they pick up on so if Ali was still here now what do you think he would be doing he is with his life if he was here physically I know he's around <laughs> I'm sure you feel him every day um I don't know actually and I, I, I know this sounds like a very strange thing, but when Ali Habibi was in the intensive care room and uh, they, they kept us waiting. There, there was a policy, I think, in the hospital that if a patient walked in and then died less than 24 hours later, uh, they would have to do a thorough investigation. And so they kept him alive on, um, I never spoke about that actually. Uh, they kept him alive on life support machines for 24 hours, literally 24 hours, exactly uh, like an hour before the 24 hours were over. Finally, a, a young uh, intensive care doctor came to me and said, we don't think he's gonna make it. And they announced him that almost 24 hours and like 10 minutes uh, later, so we had all of that despair, mm -hmm. all of the worry, all of the anxiety, all of the fear for what's going to happen for all of that time. I, I, I felt when he left, it was 4.11 in the morning. I felt it, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and, um, and, and, and then when, when he left, uh, when, they, when they told me he's gone or he's going, I went into the intensive care room and he was the same beautiful, beautiful, beautiful human that he's always been. Actually so peaceful and calm as he always has been, but he wasn't there. You know, mm -hmm. you know in your heart that this physical form is not my son. Mm -hmm. It's the vehicle that my son used to navigate this world, physical world. The interesting thing is my ex was my wife then, uh, is the most sensitive human on the planet. She's wonderful and beautiful and emotional and kind and sensitive and, you know, uh, delicate in many ways. And so I thought, being a man, uh, that I should protect her from that experience. So I said, okay, I'm going to go tell her. Uh, nobody, you know, talk to her and I will manage this. So I went to her and I said, Nibel, it seems that Ali is not going to make it. And she said, take me to him. And I said, baby, it's not a good idea. It's, you know, you don't want to see him in that state. Maybe keep the last memory of him as the hug that he gave you before he went into the operating room. And in a very, very assertive way, she said, take me to him. And so I did. You know, the doctor that was kind enough to take care of us at the time basically said, it's a good thing to get closure. So I did. And she walks in and she says, uh, she, she kisses him on the forehead and then she says, Habibi, Habibi is my love in Arabic. Habibi, you're finally home. Okay. And in many ways, I think that describes Ali to me. Because I don't know about people's beliefs about what happens after death. So in, in Solve for Happy, uh, I, I discuss death from a scientific point of view, not from a spiritual, fluffy point of view. Uh, I discuss it from a theory of relativity, Big Bang theory, and uh, quantum physics combined would allow you to understand death in a very, very different way than the stories were told. And, and the truth in my mind is that you never really die, mm -hmm. okay? This is not, you know, woo-woo stuff. 
just understand physics enough, the non-existence of time, uh, understand the reality of life, you know, that things happen or things collapse into reality because they are observed by life and you understand that life always existed, that death is the opposite of birth, not the opposite of life. You come, you come to this world through a portal called birth and you leave this physical world through a portal called death, but that you're alive before, during and after, okay? Uh, and so, and so would Ali have enjoyed the world we're living in right now? I probably think not. Mm -hmm. He, um, I don't know if you remember, there was a shooting in Boston when mm -hmm. he was at university in, in Boston. And, and it, he had that ability to soak, you know, impasse. Mm -hmm. He could soak the pain of humanity. And sometimes I think back and, and I think that if he had lived in this world, which is full of so much pain and mm -hmm. it's getting worse every year since the year he left us, you know, there is so much challenge over the climate. You know, we've just seen floods in Pakistan and in Bangladesh. And, you know, there is so there is war, there is corruption. There are so many lies everywhere. And I wonder if he would have wanted this. I wonder mm -hmm. if you could actually have dealt with all of that pain. Mm -hmm. And in an interesting way, I, I look at my son and I say, oh my God, like if you think of life as a journey with a purpose, I don't. Uh, I, I think that the, the purpose of life is life, okay? Uh, then he's achieved his purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is no 21 year old that I know that has affected so many lives positively. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe he did it through me by teaching me stuff, making me love him so much and then leaving mm -hmm. to trigger me to, to share what he taught me. But the truth is, it's him. Mm -hmm. it, with, if Without Ali and without A, I would have not been me. Okay. Yeah. And without him leaving, I wouldn't have ever written a book ever or spoken about happiness. And I, and I think he's he's done. He, he did mm -hmm. really well. He left at the peak of his achievement. And if you understand this reasonably well, he's okay. I'm going to be hugging him, spanking him first, and <laughs> then hugging him very soon. It's so interesting to know because I definitely know for myself, one of my, I, I just want my parents to be happy. Whenever they, when, when I see them upset and I see them struggling, it really, really upsets me. And I really just want them to be, live the happiest life. And it sounds like that's definitely what, Ali had as well he so wanted it and I know that before yeah. he left he said to you didn't he like I just want you to live more from the heart from, from the heart ah, but there was a deeper meaning to that really oh my god he changed my life that one comment changed mm -hmm. my life do you think if he hadn't have left you would have ever got to a point of feeling as happy as you do now I was I was always very happy I mean, not always. After I I did my my research on happiness, it took me twelve years to go from the grumpy, uh, uh, completely upset person, executive, businessman, whatever that is, to a very calm, very peaceful, very contented person all the time. There is a difference, however, because today I get the incremental feelings of joy in in abundance every single day. I get. It's, it's overwhelming, really. I mm -hmm. mean, I, I get hundreds of messages a day of people saying, you've changed my life. I mean, 
and I, and I don't say this to brag, I say this to say I'm so lucky, mm-hmm. so fortunate, right? To, to actually feel uh, that unlike the lie that they told us, which is go out there and make a ton of money and buy fancy stuff and then you'll be happy, there is a shortcut. There is, you know, a simple way to understand how the machine actually works and then end up in a place where you can achieve happiness just with a tiny set of changes to the way you look at life. Mm-hmm. And, and to be in this place, hmm, I mean, I, 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 I remember um, 2019, the very last live talk I did before COVID, uh, I was, it was, it was in Amsterdam. Uh, and and maybe a thousand two hundred people in the audience, and I was the closing keynote. Not keynote. I was a closing um, fireside chat, and the person interviewing me was a good friend, so he knew me well. But I spent the entire day being hugged, like I I literally every person I come across in that event, not you know not all of them, but many of them would go like Mo, you're here. That's so wonderful. I'm grateful you taught me this. Whatever. And they hug me and they just pour love on me. Mm-hmm. And like, seriously, who wants any better life? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and then uh, Martin, who's, who's the interviewer, asks me and says, um, so are you happy, happy today? And I, and I, you know, after losing Ali and all of the challenges in my life, and, and I say, I've never been happier. I cried like a baby on stage. I've never been happier. Of course, if you can imagine, There is no love to replace Ali's love. There there are certain souls in this world that you feel so deeply connected to that there is no other love that can replace that love. It's truth, right? So I think the universe or God or luck or whatever you want to call it chose to replace Ali with 10 million forms of love that get poured on me, okay? And in all honesty, I don't know how to tell you this, but it would be so stupid not to recognize the gift. Mm-hmm. That's such a big gift. And, and, and all I did was I stopped doing the work that I disliked so much. Mm-hmm. Because even though Google X was an incredible place, it still was quite corporate at the end of the day. And I, and I now wake up in the morning, I, I can't tell you, Carly, I promise you, I wake up in the morning and I write for three hours a day. I feel like I'm in heaven, in heaven. What a gift. Okay. And I write so much. I write, I, you know, I wrote like eight books so far, published three, and there is another one coming out and another one ready. Right. But I don't publish all that. I I just write. I just write because I love it so much. And then sometimes I take parts of it and put it on Instagram or whatever. And it's just such a joy. You know how? Just simply but by telling myself, I don't need a Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. I don't need a fancy car. I don't need an Armani suit. I, I wear, I think this is $12. That's, it's you a know, nice tea. But, but, it's good but quality tea. Remember, yeah. huh? I wore this because I'm meeting you. I normally would wear a $4 one, right? And, and, and it's, you know, this is my formal dress code. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and, and, and think about that. How much do we need? Mm-hmm. How much do we actually need? How, why are we chasing those weird dreams? Okay. And yeah, sometimes I, I believe if my mission happens, 
1 billion happy. I don't think it will happen in my lifetime, but you know, if it happens at any point 70 years from now, I'll be a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just the currency is different. A billion happy people. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a life that managed to acquire hmm, with all of our greed as humans, a billion happy people instead of a billion dollars? When you speak about one billion happy, how do you know when you've made someone happy or when so what something you've done question. has impacted someone? That's such a great question because of course, uh, there's a big struggle. Hmm? There's a big struggle because if, if you were motivated by the typical world's success factors, I would just find ways to create uh, content that gets viewed by more people. Mm -hmm. Because you know how it is. The currency of the social media world is how many likes, how many clicks, how many, right? Which would have mainly meant I need to go to the gym a little more often and have a six-pack, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, doesn't work as great as it does for the <laughs> other side of the of the of the of humanity, but you know it still works. Okay, uh, but that's not what we decided to do. We decided that one billion happy is a mission of impact. Okay, and and so accordingly we measure, uh, at least we try to. It's very difficult, but we try to measure people who have received a message that triggered an action, and the action is what matters. We want one of two actions. Uh, uh, you know, first, first target is we give you a message that basically says happiness is your birthright. Okay. It's, it's achievable. It is, uh, uh, predictable. If you work on it, like fitness, you will become happier. You know, if you go to the gym and eat healthy, you'll become fitter. If you work and focus on your happiness, you'll become happier. But that's not enough. You get that message and then you slack. We don't, we don't, you're not part of one billion happy. What we need you to do is to take one of two actions. Either one, invest in your own happiness. Mm -hmm. And that's actually quite trackable on the internet, right? Uh, you know, someone who clicks on that video and then, you know, goes from that to my profile and watches other videos or, or on Instagram or, you know, goes from, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 a piece of content written somewhere and then clicks on the work of Eckhart Tolle and, tries to learn a little bit more about the topic. So that's someone who's investing in their own happiness or someone that shares that content to others. So they're making others happy, okay? Because the, the mission really is built on a, what I, what I always call a positive Ponzi scheme, okay? All we're trying to do really, because we don't, so, so that this, the mission statement, we're a, a tiny team of four people. And the mission statement clearly is by the end of our lives, our contribution, we want a million champions to champion a billion happy and we want to be completely forgotten. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and this is really important because if we're not forgotten, hmm, then the mission collapses when we're no longer there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, how do you do, you know, the only way to do that is to build a Ponzi scheme, literally a pyramid scheme, right? So if I can tell you something, you know, you heard me on, uh, on, uh, Diary of the CEO. And then that triggered an action from you that asked you to get me to, to, to host me. And so I can reach your audiences. Mm -hmm. So, you, uh, you know, I triggered you and you triggered others. Mm -hmm. Okay. And probably if your audiences enjoy the conversation, you know, they're going to ask for more happiness content. So you're going to, you know, get the real teachers and they'll teach more. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that movement, you know, if everyone tells two people who tell two people who tell two people, 
is the definition of the exponential function. Mm -hmm. And the exponential function is the only thing that has ever changed the world. Okay, nothing hmm, that that anyone can do alone will ever change the world. It's it's us triggering two who trigger four who trigger and you know sixteen thirty two sixty four. This is why technology is accelerating. This is why it, you know economies collapse and 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 rise. This is why everything works hmm, mm-hmm. is exponential. Hmm? So I believe we're. I I believe I don't know how to say this. I believe we've already done it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just we've done it in maybe 2030 or 2040. Hmm? But there is enough movement now, not just because of me. There are so many people, including yourself, who are focused on that topic now, that enough of the lie, enough of going out in the world to acquire things that we don't need to impress people we don't care about. Okay, And I think more and more of us now are saying, but how about my well-being? How about my mental health? How about my you know, happiness of my loved ones? And I think now that the topic is a topic of focus, mm-hmm. it's going to happen. It's going to it's going to eventually get there. Hundred percent. I like what you said about the fact that you think you've already done it, but it will show up in time. Because that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's our actions now that show up yeah. later. It's not always a direct, you know, result right now. And I would love to know. As someone listening to this, I, I think that the beginning stages of finding happiness, and I've been on this own journey myself, is actually discovering that actually you're not that happy. Uh-huh. And some people are, some people think that they're happy because they're not unhappy. Do you know what I mean? But they're just kind totally. of in this limbo, like, meh, yeah, I'm okay. So how do you think someone can identify that actually they're not that happy and they've got some work to do? There are there are two uh, two sides to this conversation, two very important layers. One layer is how our modern world, sh- you know, forces us to suppress our emotions. Okay, and I'd like to come back to this in a minute. Uh, you know, the hyper masculinity of our world has told us emotions don't matter. As a matter of fact, you know what? Emotions they're distractions. We don't want those. Right. And so if you're not supposed to show your emotions at work, you're supposed to suppress your emotions at work. It's easier to suppress your emotions in general and ignore them as if they don't exist. So I'll come back to this. But I think the the main question is, if how do I know if I'm happy if I don't know what happiness is? Mm-hmm. OK. And I and I struggled with that. Remember, my, my challenge in life is I, I am actually more feminine than masculine. So my f- book after after next is called her and her is around the idea of the feminine and the masculine and that you know man and woman are just biological descriptors right uh, uh, you know lgbtq are you know gender identity and sexual preference descriptors okay but feminine and masculine are sets of qualities that we live by that exist in each and every one of us mm-hmm. okay you have qual- masculine qualities in you sometimes uh, I see the smile nodding. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I am like probably 90% masculine in my behavior, behavior, which I'm trying to switch. But probably 90% feminine in your uh, nature. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know you that well, but, you know, I, I think most of us who tend to sway so far off are to compensate for what they thought were weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And And sadly, 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 our modern world told us that feminine qualities are weaknesses. Especially in business. Exactly. Especially in business, especially in a hyper 
results-driven world where all that matters is capitalism. Mm -hmm. When capitalism, I, nothing wrong with capitalism other than its target. So I, I follow a very capitalist approach to, uh, to one billion happy, only the target is the number of happy mm -hmm. people, not the number of dollars, right? Now, when you, when you think about it this way, you start to see that um, we, um, we don't understand um, with our analytical brain, hmm, we never really had an understanding of what happiness is. There, it's that mushy feeling that you feel, you know, that uh, you like so much. And, you know, if, uh, 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 you know, an attractive someone loves you, you feel it. But mm -hmm. if the attractive someone pisses you off, then you don't feel it anymore. And then, you know, you're stuck in traffic and your best friend calls you, then you're happy. And then it rains and you're unhappy. And mm -hmm. you just this so mushy. Okay. And I struggled with that. Uh, at the early years, I was hyper-masculine. I was like you, I was living 100% in my masculinity. And so I tried to find my happiness and they tell me, say, om, and I get pissed off. Like, what, what's om? Like, explain this to me, right? Uh, and so I started to think of happiness as an engineer. Hmm? And it's actually quite interesting because there are three assumptions that people need to understand about happiness that are mis misunderstood in our modern world. First of, all, of them is you need to strive to find happiness. With four minutes research on YouTube, including your own kids, if you look at infants, infants are happy by default, mm -hmm. okay? They are, uh, you know, if they're fed safe, given their basic needs for survival, an infant is giggling, lying on their back and playing with their toes and happy like you can be, mm -hmm. okay? And, and it's quite interesting because they don't ask for an Xbox or likes on Instagram. They don't want a fancy car. They don't want anything to say, you know, your, your squishy bum is amazing. They don't care, right? Mm -hmm. They're just happy, naturally happy if they're given their basic needs. Okay. That's the opposite of what the world tells us. The world tells us strive. Okay. Mm -hmm. Get that car, get that attractive girlfriend, get that fancy suit, get that a vacation uh, home or vacation destination. Right. And the truth is none of those things ever make you happy for more than seven minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. That attractive girlfriend makes you very happy when you show up next to her in front of your friends the first time. And then maybe she becomes the reason for your unhappiness for mm -hmm. years to come. Okay. Or months or weeks or whatever. Now, Here's the truth. The truth is we are born happy. That's assumption number one. It's, 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 it's the, it's innate within us to be happy if our needs are met. Assumption number two is even more interesting. Hmm? They say, go and get all of those things and you'll be happy. We know that they don't make us happy. When they, what should, what they should have said is happiness is the absence of unhappiness. Get rid of the things that make you unhappy and your nature will show. Okay. And everyone knows that hmm? on a Sunday morning, you wake up, your partner didn't say something stupid. Your boss is not there to annoy you, you know, and Hey, for a change, it's not raining. What do you feel? You feel super happy. Mm -hmm. You still haven't got that promotion, but you're happy. Right. And, and it's quite interesting. Happiness is the absence of unhappiness is exactly how children behave. A nappy gets wet, the, the child cries. Reason for unhappiness. You change the nappy, then the child goes back to calm and peaceful contentment. Mm -hmm. Right? Assumption two. Any human being that would get to that, I was miserable at the time I discovered this. 2004, I think, is when I discovered this. I was in Seattle. I remember vividly. Uh, you know, and, and when you, you know, I was always happy. And then I ran out of happiness when I engaged so heavily in the modern world. 
And then any human being, any typical human being, a normal human being would look at this and say, okay, I can have a list of the things that are upsetting me, tick them off one by one, remove them from my life, and then I'll go back to happiness. Not the way software engineers think. Mm -hmm. So at the time I found myself saying, oh, interesting. I can probably write an algorithm that can describe the things that trigger my unhappiness and then code a piece of code that I swear to you, <laughs> I know it sounds nuts now, but I, that's exactly what I said. I can write a piece of code that can predict those upfront, okay, and tell me how to prevent them. Uh, tell me to prevent them so that I'm always happy. Happens to be true. There is an algorithmic way where our happiness and unhappiness is triggered. So I, I wrote 92 points in my life where I felt happy. And I started to do what, mathemati what mathematicians to try to do. I, I plotted them on, on, along charts. So they look scattered. And I was trying to find a trend line between them. Because that trend line, if you can find a fitting line that appears to approximate the data, the equation of that line is how happiness behaves, mm -hmm. right? And so you get moments like, I feel happy when I have a good cup of coffee. I feel happy when I'm having a wonderful chat with a wonderful person. I feel happy when I learn something new or when my daughter smiles, right? What's common across those? You know, how do you know? How, how, what makes us happy or unhappy? And then I realized it's actually quite simple. Hmm? There is no event in your life that ever had the consistent impact of you to produce happiness or unhappiness. Okay. Rain, as I always say, you know, when I walk the streets of London, rain makes me panic. Like a very negative emotion because I'm a Middle Eastern bald head. You know, it's really quite, I don't know this. Mm -hmm. I don't, I have not grown up in this. To you guys, rain, like, yeah. You don't even notice it. Do you, do you, do you realize that? Mm -hmm. You don't even notice it. Now, now, rain itself has no inherent value of happiness for you. Okay. Rain sometimes makes you happy. Okay. If it rains on your ex-boyfriend's wedding day. And sometimes <laughs> makes you very unhappy if it rains on your planned wedding day. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's happening here in, in mathematics, that basically means that happiness is not just a result of the event. It's the result of a comparison that happens in your head between the event and how you actually want life to be. On his wedding day, you actually want it to rain. <laughs> okay. And so when it rains, life meets your expectations. You're very happy. Mm -hmm. Okay. As a matter of fact, if it didn't rain that day, you would go like, what's wrong with life? You understand? Mm -hmm. And so you can summarize that in a very simple mathematical equation. Your happiness is uh, equal to or greater than the difference between the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. Okay. In your head, you're constantly comparing events to expectations, events to expectations, mm -hmm. events to expectations. Our audience here might not uh, uh, hear those, but we get sirens going across the street when we're recording. So every now and then we have to pause and say, okay, too loud, right? And yeah, we could tell ourselves that this is a curse. You know, life is horrible. This podcast is not supposed to be interrupted. This is important conversation. What's wrong with the world? You know, or we could tell ourselves a very simple expectations. We're in London. It's a busy street. There are lots of sirens that will come across mm -hmm. and, you know, we want to record something wonderful for our listeners. So we're going to stop when there is a siren. No, not that complicated. If the event meets your expectations, you're happy. If the events miss your expectations, you're unhappy. Which triggers a very uh, shocking statement that upsets a lot of people. Happiness in that case hmm, 
is a choice mm -hmm. because I choose to see the events as I want. The same sirens could be passing for other podcasters recording and they could be hitting them ha their heads against the wall. Okay. It's a choice. You can see the event for something or not. You can set expectations in a certain way or not. And based on that, you're going to be happy or unhappy. Now, going back to your questions. So how do I know if I'm happy? How do I know? Hmm? Happiness is that calm and peaceful contentment you feel when you're okay with life as it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Doesn't matter what life is. Hmm? If you're okay with it, you're happy. Right. You go to Africa. And people eat once a day, twice a day. Life is tough. They have to walk instead of take the tube or, you know, get in Ubers or whatever. And they're laughing their bellies off, right? Happy. Why? Because life to them is meeting expectations. It's, this is how it's supposed to be. They're in nature. They're with wonderful loved ones. They're okay, right? If you're not feeling that calm and peaceful contentment, if you're constantly looking at the world around you and saying something is wrong, something is wrong, or something is about to be wrong, or something was wrong, okay, you're unhappy. Mm -hmm. If you kind, if you find that peace and calm, hmm, and you're simply chilling through life, right? So, so when when we were recording again, people should know I spilled my coffee, wonderful <laughs> coffee, on my uh, jeans, right? Okay, I can, I, I'm completely okay with it. That's why we wear jeans. Hmm? I'm going to wash them. You know, people will look at me and think I did something really <laughs> childish for a while. Right? But that's fine. And, and interestingly, when you think about it, hmm, what can I do now to change that? I already have coffee on my jeans. Okay. I could kill myself over it or I could just smile and say, mm -hmm. you know, every time you look down, I go like, okay, she's looking at it again. And you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's fine. It's easy. Right. And I think that's the game. The game is for most of us. Sadly, in the modern world, we're unable to find that calm and peaceful content for two reasons. Why? One is we don't know that this is happiness. We think that happiness is to go to the party on Friday night and have a couple of drinks and jump up and down. It's not. Mm -hmm. This is dopamine. This is excitement, elation, uh, in, uh, pleasure, and so on. They're all positive emotions, but they're not happiness. Okay. And the problem with them is that the minute the stimulation goes off, you're back to unhappiness. Mm -hmm. Right. This is one reason. So one reason is you don't know what happiness is. So you think you're happy. You think you're happy to go to a party. You think you're happy because now people look at your title on LinkedIn and say, ah, he's or he or she made it. You think you're happy because, you know, uh, you've acquired things in life. But that's not the truth. The truth is I can wake up in the morning like I do when I sit down to write and I go like, I want nothing else. Mm -hmm. Okay. You can offer me a Ferrari right now. And I would say, why would I need it? I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and that's the truth. That's, that's beautiful feeling. The other, sadly, is that we are told, taught in the modern world to suppress our emotions. We are told that emotions are weaknesses. Okay. They're very unpredictable. We don't want to deal with them. And so, hey, by the way, when you're unhappy, either uh, hide it, push it to your knees. Okay. Or go cry in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. I do not want to tell you how many people go and cry in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what do we do? We suppress it. We tell ourselves instead of showing unhappiness, when someone comes to you and says, Hey, how are you doing today? You answer and say, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Never been better. Okay. Are you really? Hmm? When someone asks me, how are you in the morning? 
You know what I say? I say, well, I'm actually quite energetic today. Uh, I don't think I'll have a coffee with caffeine, but my neck is strained a little bit and I'm so excited to meet Kylie today. <laughs> okay. That invitation that someone gives you to go and reflect and become aware and look inward and see how you actually feel. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't do that. Okay. Most of us don't ever sit with ourselves and say, how do I actually feel about Jacqueline? Mm -hmm. Okay. How is the presence of Jack in my life affecting me? Okay. Am I really, really happy with that commute every day? Hmm? Do I want to swipe on Instagram for three hours a day? Nobody ever does that. Mm -hmm. and so accordingly, you don't know you're unhappy. You don't do anything about it. I guess some people also don't really want to realize that they're unhappy because then they have to do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they don't want to face it and be like, actually, it's just easier to keep doing what I'm doing, keep spending time with the same people. It's easier. It's more comfortable. I'm just going to stay here. Sometimes facing how you really feel is quite uncomfortable, isn't it? I think that's that's very, very true. Many, many people basically prefer to be uh, seen by themselves as successful in achieving what they want, then, then they want to actually be happy. Mm -hmm. So they basically say, no, 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 this is the life that I want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am very happy to wake up every morning at 4 a.m., go run my head off so that I stop my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then uh, while I'm at it, I might as well tell the world that I'm going to run half a marathon so that I get another little star on my little uh, uh, homework uh, book. And then, you know, go to work and say the same words, synergy and, uh, you know, uh, ramp and, you know, uh, growth and all of the same words that everyone uh, says so that I fit in. And then uh, eventually end up uh, in a party at night, smiling and saying the same exact things, you know, mm -hmm. just going home and telling myself, OK, I've made it. Mm -hmm. This is how life should be. And yeah, if you if you're not telling yourself I should be happier, but I'm failing at it, then you're not unhappy about the fact that you're unhappy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I once heard a an overachiever woman, someone very ambitious, uh, say that she would rather be special than happy. Yeah, you get that a lot. Yeah, and it's like when I heard that, I, I really resonated with it, you know, and I thought that's such a sad, but true statement for so many ambitious people yeah. I found it sad I think probably because I resonated with it and I was like oh well I, I you know I always do something I call the swap test okay the swap test is is the easiest way for you to know what you actually want okay if you're comparing two things and telling yourself which one do I want more than the other Imagine two scenarios where scenario one, you have the first, but not the second. And scenario two, you have the second, but not the first. Okay. And I do this when I pick packets of crisps. Yeah. That's a stressful decision for me. I love crisps. I know because they. I'm like Quaver skips. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. So if, if, I'm, if I'm watching my, my, uh, my show at night and I have this bag of crisps, but not the other one. Or I have the other one, but not this one, which will make me happier. Mm -hmm. Right. If you choose the first, then you like the first more today. Mm -hmm. Very simple. OK, and I, I actually ask parents to do that all the time. You know, you can you can uh, look at your kids in 15 years time and say they have uh, adequate amounts of success, but they're very happy or they have tiny amounts of happiness, but they're very successful. Which would you pick for them? OK, mm -hmm. interesting, huh? because we we raise our kids for success when in reality, all we want for them is to be happy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now. 
ask yourself that and tell yourself if all the stars aligned. Hmm? And I had an adequate level of success. I'm not a, a you know homeless. I'm not uh, you know surfing in Australia and not producing anything. I'm actually not, not that this is a bad thing, by the way. Hmm? Uh, but but I am reasonably you know successful. I have reasonable needs met, hmm? and I'm really happy, really enjoying my life, really contented, really peaceful with what I'm achieving. You know, I'm I'm happy. Is that a better life? Or if I have all the money in the world and I'm miserable and depressed. The latter are all of those celebrities that are swimming in money and fame that mm-hmm. commit suicide. Okay. And if you know in your heart that this is what you want, truly and honestly, go for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who if I told happiness is predictable, I can show you to how to get it. It's really that simple. Hmm? But you're going to have to include it in your priority list, Mm -hmm. like you include running the marathons, like you include uh, going to the gym if you do, like you include, uh, you know, meeting your best friend, like you include going to work, like you include saying, I'm fine. Okay. If I, if you add a few little habits, you can find happiness too. Would you pick that? Of course. Everyone Mm -hmm. will say yes. It seems to me that um, because of the way, so, so I explained the happiness equation, events minus expectations, right? It seems to me that happiness is that calm and peaceful contentment is one of our two modes of survival. So humanity survives in two ways. One, one we know it's called fight or flight, right? You, you are stressed. Something is threatening you. You get flooded with stress hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, and so on. You run away from the tiger or you jump on that little, uh, uh, you know, sm- m- smaller guy in the school because you don't jump on the bigger one and you fight, right? That's, that state is called, you know, is basically the, uh, the state where your sympathetic nervous system is engaged. It's fight or flight. It's t- superhuman, but it's supposed to be very short. The other state most humans don't discuss, okay? But it's as vital for your survival as the state of fight or flight, which is when the parasympathetic nervous system is engaged, Okay, which is a state of normally they call it rest and digest. Hmm? Basically, this is the state because fight or flight, because the stressed state, because the state of stress is a state where you literally divert the blood away from any non-vital organ at this moment. So all of your blood goes to your sight, your eyesight, to your brain, to your muscles, but none goes to your digestive system, to your liver, to your kidneys, to other vital functions. If you do that for a minute or two or seven or an hour, it's okay. But if you do it constantly with stress, hmm, uh, you end up in a uh, in a state where you're depriving your body from the energy it needs to take toxins out of it, to replenish your muscles, to reflect on topics, to build memories and so on and so forth. And so happiness is basically that trigger, that happiness as in calm and peaceful and contented is your brain looking around it and saying, I scanned the world around me and it seems okay. It's not amazing. It's not perfect. This is life. It's not heaven, right? But it's okay. So you can rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And when you get that, you end up literally rebuilding yourself. Mm -hmm. So if you give up on that and live in that constant stress, so my next book is, is called Unstressable. This is why this topic is very important to me. When you're in that constant stress, in, in Unstressable, I, comp- I, I use physics to explain stress to you. 
okay? And it's not the, the load that breaks us, okay? If the load is matched with enough square area, with enough cap capabilities and abilities within you, you don't break unless the load is extremely high, which is trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So people who get PTSD are exposed to such high load that they break, right? But what breaks us, interestingly, in physics is known as fatigue. And fatigue, if you remember those IKEA seats when you went into IKEA that they keep pushing and pushing and mm -hmm. pushing and pushing and keep a counter of how many times the chair didn't break even though it was sat on, okay? It's because in physics, what would break a seat, even if the force is not very high, is to keep applying the same force over and over. And people who choose to live a very highly stressed life are doing exactly that. They're applying the same manageable stress mm -hmm. over and over and over until they get they start to get burnout and they break. Okay, and I think what we want to do is we want to tell people, hey, a tiny bit of stress if you have the capability to deal with it is okay, mm -hmm. right? But but you have to stop that constant application of stress to your life by allowing yourself to find moments of happiness where serotonin is flooding your blood, telling you, hey, it's okay, rest, it's fine. Hmm? That is why happiness is important. It's as vital for you as the stress that makes you successful. That's why we want both of them for us to get anywhere in life. So my, my current mission is to is to try and attack the reasons for unhappiness. Remember the second assumption, mm -hmm. happiness is the absence of unhappiness. And so my last few years of work have been around explaining happiness and solve for happy and in that little voice in your head and so on. And now actually my next two books are about removing the reasons for unhappiness. So unstressable is around removing stress. So eye-opening when you really think about it. If mm -hmm. you understand, you know, we, we, we follow, I'm writing it with a wonderful British author, uh, Alice Law, who's a stress management expert. And we follow a very simple model, you know, limit, uh, learn, and listen. So basically, if you can, if we can show you how you can limit stressors, remove them from your life, or listen to your, what we call, uh, you know, we, we, we think that there are four ways we feel stress, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And if you can listen to the language of mm -hmm. how those are talking to you, you can you can actually walk out of stress much easier. So there is a lot of work that's going in there. And then my following book, which is quite scary, is called Finding Love, trying to use mathematics and, and economics, believe it or not, to solve the issues we're facing with love, dating and romance, really? which is so eye opening when you really look at the mathematics of it. It's really not that complicated at all. We're just, we're just looking for love in the wrong markets. When you, if you, re, if you use economic and if you look for, for it in the, in the, in the specialty markets, as I call it in the book, it actually becomes quite a lot, uh, a lot easier, a lot more likely, more probably. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. I love love. Ah, I that's such love a it. beautiful statement. I love it. I say, like, my partner always says to me all the time, whenever I watch something on telly, I, I always cry like all the Aww. time when I see people falling in love. I love watching first dates and there's like an old couple and they fall in love. And uh, Kurt always says to me, you love love, don't you? I just love it. Yeah, my, my assumption, which I, I don't know if people will, will, will agree with me, is that if you know anything about the complex part of physics, quantum field theory, for example, you understand that there are fundamental particles of which everything is made you know, electrons and, and so on. Uh, everything is made up of those, right? 
but that's in the physical world. So, so in, 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 in Finding Love, my first chapter is an attempt to say there is a physical world and there is a non-physical world. Love exists in the non-physical world. You can't measure it with a meter, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and everything in the non-physical, I call it the spiritual field theory, is also made up of fundamental elements. The, one of the fundamental elements is love. Consciousness is a fundamental element. And believe it or not, it's not that love is foul. Is 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 uh, is uh, you you don't grow to love someone. Mm -hmm. You actually find your love for someone because that love always existed in the spiritual field. That love is always it's it's what we're made of. And it's so shocking for me that we've reduced it to all of the other things that we talk about when we, sp we speak about love. You know, when, we, when we're in a relationship or when dating or when we're seeing someone or whatever, there are so many more layers to that complex relation than, than love itself. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, romance, there is passion, there is partnership, there is friendship, there, is, there could be companionship, there could be, you know, support and so on and so forth. And yet we call all of this love. And then when parts of this go wrong, we tell ourselves our life, our love has failed. Mm -hmm. Love has never failed. Love has always been there. Okay. Will always be there. I mean, I love my ex deeply uh, until today. We're in touch. We're constantly doing things together. We're constantly, uh, we feel that love and appreciation for each other. The fact that we don't sleep in the same bed anymore doesn't take away from that love. Mm -hmm. And I think if we, if we realize that it's so fundamental for our, for our non-physical survival to have love and consciousness in our life, I think everyone would love love as much as you do. Mm -hmm. it is, it's what we're made of. So are you looking for love? Now that you know uh, what love is, are you looking why, for it? Why do I put myself in those situations? <laughs> I know, I always find it fascinating because when I fell in love with my partner, I definitely was not looking for it. And you know, they, people always say when you are least looking for it, you fall in love. Now that you have figured out love, or at least understand it a little bit more, are you actively looking for something? Remember when I told you I'm submerged in love? Mm -hmm. I, I have so much love in my life. Um, at the same time, I'm actually going through a very interesting phase of, believe it or not, how am I saying this in public? <laughs> of monkhood. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I went on an amazing, amazing, amazing experience. Literally three weeks ago, I went on a 40 days uh, alone in nature retreat, not an organized retreat. I spent 40 days alone. Uh, I've seen my landlord three times or something for 10 minutes each, but otherwise I was completely alone. And it seems to me that on our spiritual path, uh, call it our path to understanding and insight. Hmm? It seems that everyone who's ever found anything significant uh, chose to be on a period of less physical world and more spiritual world. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time in my life, I actually ended up in a place where I had an experience of that. And so I came out of it and I said, ah, I want to continue this for a while, uh, which is quite interesting because when I was talking uh, just a few months ago uh, on Stephen Bartlett's podcast, uh, the second episode, I was simply saying, well, I am in a stage where I actually am 
uh, open to exploring uh, alternative models of love. Uh, and now I'm basically in one of those alternative models, which is completely off the market. Uh, I don't know if that will mean that people will switch off the podcast now, but, uh, <laughs> but it's also a very interesting experience. It's a very, very interesting experience to, uh, which I have never had in my life, ever. Well, I guess it opens up the space to fall in love with yourself more, doesn't it? I'm, I'm okay there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I am, I'm, I'm actually quite, I, I came to a conclusion a few, a couple of years back after a lot of attempts to do good in life, that I'm okay. Mm. You know, nobody's perfect ever. I mean, we're all flawed in so many ways, but I think I don't have evil in me. Like mm. my mistakes are mistakes. They're not with bad intention. And there are many, but, but I, I told myself, if you have, if you, if you make mistakes, but they're not badly intend, you know, intentioned, you, you're okay. Yeah. So I, I don't dislike me. Uh, and I don't push me as hard as I used to at all. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, a big part of that monkhood and the attempt to spend a lot of time with me is to stop pushing me. Because interestingly, when I went into One Billion Happy and all of my author career and my podcast, my podcast is quite demanding. You're, you're going to, uh, you know, um, our listeners are going to enjoy my conversation with Carly on Stomo as well. But, uh, but, uh, but it is, um, it is very demanding as a life mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't allow you the space to reflect on things that we all need to reflect on. Okay. And I, and I, and I think it is quite interesting that if you stop pushing yourself, part of self care, not necessarily self love, it's part of self care because they're, different uh you you end up you end up finding that space to say oh interesting if i record all of my podcasts in a matter of a week and then i have three weeks you know free i can perform better in life i can write better i can Mm -hmm. spend more time with my loved one and so on loved ones and so on and so 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 there there is a lot of a lot that comes from space from silence from reflection that i'm really enjoying whether that will be there you know the rest of my life I can guarantee you not. Okay. I definitely am going back into the, into the arena, but for now, I think I'm really enjoying that space. That's good. And I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? Of just listening to what you need at the time and, and exploring, leaning into it and exploring. There is, there is and no, there having... is no one way to go through life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's probably, I think, a big part of people's unhappiness is that they're not always open-minded to new seasons and changing and adapting and just seeing what happens. And seasons to something is and the key happens. word. Yeah. So chapter two of Finding Love is entirely around seasons. It's the yeah. idea that anything that you criticize about the love story of another might be your season two seasons from now. It's mm. quite interesting how it is. And if you look at the statistics, uh, it's quite eye-opening that the the traditional love story that we all strive for uh, actually is not the majority of all the love stories that are out there. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us deserves to live this once, twice or whatever in their life. But, uh, you know, and we should strive for it. But it's quite interesting, especially with the openness of the last few years, uh, how many other models of uh, of love, including a model where you take romance out and you keep yourself for the love of what you do and the love of all of the others is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so excited for what you're going to learn in your new, uh, your new journey. I, I'm, I'm, so, uh, I'm so worried about what people will say about <laughs> this, this conversation on the podcast. But, you know, I, I told myself early on in this journey that I will just say what's in my heart always exactly as it is, even if it's sometimes 
criticized or not seen as normal. But uh, yeah, uh, it's a very, very unusual experience. I can guarantee you that. I think ultimately anyone that has come to listen to you and enjoys listening to you and, and will just want you to be happy as well. You know, um, and, they, yeah. and, we, and everyone yeah. celebrates themselves being happy. And, and, and if they don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an important thing. I know that definitely like so many of my audience get so hung up on living their life in a certain way to please others and what will people think no. of me. And I'm like, I was the biggest people pleaser. I'd love to say I'm recovered, but I would say I'm recovering. <laughs> yes. recovering. People pleaser. Um, so I think good for you. Doing yes. what you want to do is so important. So yes. your, you said your podcast is so important to you i it see really you putting is. so much work if anyone can see the setup that we've got here it's very yeah. profesh um <laughs> tell us more about your podcast what's your mission for it so i i am imagining some kind of an anthony bourdain parts unknown for wisdom not for food but for wisdom so you know my lifestyle which is partly why i find it difficult to have a very standard committed relationship is i travel all the time uh, you know, I travel not uh, in an abusive way, but I basically spend almost a month in every place. Uh, and, and I, you know, as I, as I do that, I get to interact with the wisest people, like our conversation, like so many people that are across the world where it's never the same if you interview them or host them on mm -hmm. Zoom. It's, it's different when you're in person with someone and feeling their energy and, seeing their expressions and so on. And so basically slow-mo started as an invitation for people to slow down for an hour a week and reflect on topics we don't normally reflect around, about. Okay. And, and, and when you, when you start to get those kinds of stories, uh, you know, I, I, my current episode as we're recording today is an episode of a, an amazing, uh, artist and, and performer from the Netherlands who was badly abused by her uh, father-in-law until the age 14 and, you know, how she recovered and saving so many people in the process. You know, some of us sadly go through abuse as children. As a matter of fact, it's quite staggering, the statistics of how many, but some of us don't. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for both to relate to her experience, which none of us had, is just so eye-opening, so connecting, so... Um, amazingly informative and, and educational. And so that's what slow-mo is about. It's an invitation to slow down for an hour and live the life of someone else. No big business, no, you know, push yourself hard, no, you know, this is what entrepreneurs do, which I think is important, but it's the job of other podcasts. Mm -hmm. This is basically after you've done all of that, take an hour for yourself. And, and during that hour, find uh, exactly you know, what you want to do about the topic that you may have never given the thought to. Yeah, and it's been so rewarding for me because I sit there and I learn myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, from your story and the story of others, I will never be a professional dancer. I mean, think about it. So, you know. I don't know. You look like you could, you could do a good jazz pounce split leap. I don't think so. <laughs> I think your expectations of me are uh, <laughs> going to lead to unhappiness. <laughs> yeah. But no, I think I agree. My podcast has brought me the most amazing people. Like I never would have got to connect with you through the podcast. And I think it's podcasting is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's yeah. so good. So at the end of my podcast, I always ask a couple of questions. 
I'd love to ask them to you. I would like you to finish my sentence. Hmm. So success is? Success is achieving what you set out to achieve that matches your potential, not what they told you to achieve. Mm, I like that. Uh, and success is also to try your absolute best and fail. Mm-hmm. That's success. It's interesting that you use failure as a part of a success. I agree, but it's an interesting one that most people wouldn't connect. Look, uh, it's trying your best is the best you can do. And uh, the only way your best becomes better is if you fail. If you succeed, you don't become better. You realize that, mm-hmm. right? So if I, uh, if I, um, if people react to my comment about my choice of monkhood uh, with a lot of rejection and negativity, that would actually don't if you don't have to. But you know, <laughs> but but that would actually get me to think about it, to consider it differently, to say what am I missing, to ask a few questions, to go to other people that I know and say what do you think of that. And then I'll I'll have a different, not a different, but a more informed view. Mm-hmm. Okay. If everyone says, well done, Mo, amazing choice, great, good for you. Okay. Then I will say, okay, that's it. I then I never need to cons- reconsider this again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's when we're pushed by life that we become better, that we become the best of what we can be. And and my my um my theory is that life is a video game. Truly and honestly, in every description of it, it is a game. It's an infinite game. And, and, and I am a very serious video gamer. I'm Olympic champion level video gamer. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I never share my, my gamer name because I'm the one that killed you last night. Okay. <laughs> it's true. Right. And, and so uh, in an interesting way, gamers don't play to win and, and true gamers, like true, serious gamers, we don't play to win. We don't play to score the next shot. We don't play to get, you know, the highest score. We don't play to get trophies. We play to become the best player we can become. That is when, remember, we spoke a tiny bit about the purpose of life. In my view, this is the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to live it in a way that gets you to the point where you become the best possible version of you, Mm -hmm. not of me. Not of anyone else. Not not com- It's not comparable to anyone else. If I look at me and I say, with this makeup of who I am, I think I can empower my feminine a tiny bit more, and then that will be more reflective of who I really am, then not reaching that potential is a mistake. Okay? If I tell myself, maybe no, maybe I can make a tiny bit more money, I was made for more money, then not reaching that potential is a mistake. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think our purpose in life is to reach the potential of who we are. And failure is the only way. It's those shots in the game that you don't take or that you make a mistake on that teach you to next time look left. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. I have so many other questions that I wanted to ask, but I also want to leave it on that because that is just the perfect way of ending it. Let's leave it on that. You summed it up absolutely perfectly. Where can everyone find you and find all things Mo? Well, I I made a a very unusual promise and early in my uh, happiness work to answer every question I ever get. So Instagram, 
is the quickest way for you to find me. Uh, I'm Mo underscore Gaudet. Um, M Gaudet on LinkedIn, I answer as well, but I answer once a week or so. Uh, the others I'm available and I post there, but I'm not that good at them. Uh, uh, otherwise, mogaudet.com, you have everything about my books and my podcast and, and, uh, and all of my work on Stressable coming out and the membership and so on. And uh, what else? And Slomo, S-L-O-M-O, uh, the podcast is probably, um, I, I hope you, you know, our listeners will enjoy that. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much, Mo. I've absolutely loved speaking to you. And I know some things that you've said, I'm really going to take away with me. And, and I know they've impacted me in a big way. And I'm, I know they're all the listeners as well. So thank you so much. Such a privilege. It. Thank you so much for your kindness, for hosting me and for hopefully we'll, together we'll make a few more people happy.